is Bloomberg Surveillance. All this new communications technology means we're spending a lot of time communicating and interacting, but does that really make us more productive? I don't think it necessarily does. Inflation is probably the slowest moving economic variable we have out there. In the market, people are rarely objective, clinical, and rational, and they go to extremes, and they went from optimistic to pessimistic. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen. This Monday morning, thrilled you're with us worldwide. Don't forget Bloomberg Radio Plus, Bloomberg.com, crystal clear digital to get your day started worldwide. Or if you're in our signal area, Sirius and XM Channel 119, thrilled you're on Sirius and XM with us. And also Bloomberg 1200 Boston, 99.1 FM Washington. 960, the Bay Area, San Francisco, and the gorgiosity of a beautiful New York day, Bloomberg 1130. Uh, Good morning. We need to look at foreign exchange, Forex Brief, brought to you by Interactive Brokers, winner of FX Week's 2015 award for the best retail Forex trading platform. Visit IB at IBKR.com slash Forex. The dollar stronger. On DXY, a blend of major trading partners, Old line partners, not China, up a solid 0.95 points, 97.54 gets my attention. Stronger dollar, weaker yen, 113.17, weaker euro, big weaker euro, 110.10, and sterling is crushed and further crushed. Let me look at it intraday here. I'll put this chart out on Bloomberg Radio Plus, which we can do. I don't know if Dave Wilson knew we could do that. Yeah, Sterling's broken down even further. One forty seventy five. Not only did I know we can do that, but I do that every day with my stock of the day at four PM Eastern, one PM Pacific. And with that shameless plug, we're pleased to bring in on equity markets one David Wilson. David. Well, it's another one of those days where oil setting the tone for stocks. I mean, uh, energy shares higher in early trading. Uh, crude oil up about a dollar. Dollar ninety. Yeah. Dollar ninety. Absolutely, and people are paying attention to that. Uh, you've got ExxonMobil up one and a half percent, Chevron up two percent, ConocoPhillips up three percent in early trading. Yahoo's up two and a half percent. The web portal will begin approaching potential buyers for its main business as soon as today. That's according to people familiar with the process. They said Verizon, Comcast, and AT&T are among the interested parties, along with private equity firms being Capital, KKR, and TPG. Yeah, and Scott Galloway on Bloomberg Surveillance on Friday was adamant there will be multiple buyerees. It may well be the case. And yeah. I should note there were headlines out a few moments ago about the Verizon Buy an XO Communications fiber business for about $1.8 billion. So uh, Verizon's been doing some deals, that's for sure. We've got one earnings report out of the Standard Poor's 500 today, and it's a big one from Allergan. The shares are up 2%. The drug makers' fourth quarter earnings and revenue topped analyst average estimates in a Bloomberg survey. Company's top sellers are the wrinkle treatment Botox and the dry eye drug Restasis, and their sales beat projections. Pfizer seeking to buy Allergan for $160 billion, so a plus for them. Couple of railroad stocks higher in early trading. CSX up three percent and Union Pacific up two and a half percent. They were both raised to buy from neutral Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Other analyst calls of note: Express Scripts down two percent. The drug benefit manager was cut to sell from hold at Deutsche Bank. TripAdvisor down two percent. The online travel agency lowered to sell from hold at Stiefel. And Wellcare Health Plans up five and a half percent. The health insurer was raised the equivalent of buy from neutral at J.P. Morgan. 
Dean Foods up 3%. The dairy product maker's fourth quarter earnings beat estimates. First quarter profit may also come out ahead based on the company's forecast. And lumber liquidators down 17%. Yeah. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention found the retailer's flooring poses three times the cancer risk disclosed earlier this month. The CDC attributed the revision to incorrect ceiling heights. David Wilson, thank you so much. He has wonderful degrees from Bowdoin College, Caltech, and Stern School. He's the only one I know that actually understood the science of the Martian. Uh, and Jim Karen joins us from Morgan Stanley right now on the fixed income. Mar- Jim, did you see the Martian? I'm looking for Jim Karen. Oh, I'm sorry. There you are. Okay. Good morning. Yes, I did see the Martian. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good uh, science. I did, yeah. Are, are we dealing with rational science now in our fixed income market? If our central bankers have taken us through the zero bound or to the zero bound, are we doing science or are we doing alchemy? I think we're doing a grand experiment. Um, I, I don't think there's a lot of science behind what's going on right now, other than the fact that lower rates tend to stimulate demand. So if you can push rates towards zero, it should stimulate more demand. And, hey, if you push them negative, it should stimulate even more. I think what we're finding, though, is that negative rates aren't what we all thought that they might be, and that there are some limitations as to how low these rates can go before they create problems. We see in Japan, for example, um, Japan pushed interest rates to negative levels, and that's supposed to weaken the currency. Well, the Japanese yen has been one of the strongest currencies out there over the past couple of weeks, ever since they've actually moved to negative rates. So I think this is a grand experiment, and we're really trying to get demand to come back into the economy by manipulating interest rates, and I don't think it's going to work the way that they intend to. A lot of people are saying that these days. Do we get bond vigilantes telling central banks it's not going to work? Well, it's interesting right now, and I think the answer to that is ultimately yes, but we also have to put this into context with what's going on with the rest of assets around the world. So equity prices have been coming down. Credit spreads have been widening. This has been creating a lot of pain. Um, so and oil clearly has been the number one thing correlating all asset prices together. So when people look for a hedge and they need a hedge to hedge off these, um, to hedge off losses from some of these assets, what they end up doing is buying very, very high quality U.S. Treasuries, Euros, you know, gilt, uh, Euro government bonds, I mean. And what that ends up doing is it ends up pushing rates lower. So the interest rate markets look like they're well behaved and taking these negative rates in stride and it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. But the reality is, is that the other asset markets are, are really, you know, the decline in the other asset markets is really what's driving treasuries. So I, I don't know that negative rates necessarily is, is the best solution. However, there aren't a lot of other good solutions right now. I think many central banks are running out of opportunities to actually try to stimulate the markets, which is scary in and of itself. If we, do we still need somebody to stimulate the markets? Or would it be better, as we were talking earlier on the show, uh, for central banks to sort of shut up and get out of the way at this point? I think, you know, I mean, ultimately, if you come from the Austrian economic camp, then the answer is absolutely. Just get out of the way and just let the markets behave like markets. And ultimately, I think central banks do need to step away a little bit to allow some of the excesses to burn off. But there's also a lot of collateral damage that ends up happening along the way. So you could, for example, have, you know, really good solid companies, um, you know, move into higher probabilities of default and have their bond prices go down 
because there's some cleansing of the overall economic system, which could create, you know, high levels of unemployment. It could create a lot of economic unrest. So I think central banks are have been put on this planet to try to manage these things. I think they've overdone it personally. I think they've overdone it, and I do think that they need to step away and allow the the normal financial conditions in the marketplace to revive itself. When I look, Jim Karen, at the derivative markets, what's happened around the headlines on bonds? We've been here before. Interesting markets. Uh, indeterminate was a word I used last week. What have you observed in securitized markets? What have you observed in shadow or derivative constructed bond markets? So for many of these securitized markets, which typically hold mortgages and, you know, or, or buildings as a, you know, commercial mortgage-backed securities, uh, commercial mortgages as, a, as an asset, um, the residential space has actually been relatively strong. Residential mortgages have done very, very well. So the homeowner, the individual paying their mortgage, looking for homes, you know, home price appreciation has gone up. Commercial mortgages, though, are a different story. Commercial mortgages are a little bit more of a technical story right now and often trades more like a credit. And since credit spreads have been widening, commercial mortgages, securitized assets, have actually been getting hurt. Now, we're not seeing a lot of defaults, but we, what we are seeing is a repricing of, of the risk premia. So higher risk premia, lower prices, and essentially what's also happening is that there's a lot of technicals right now where a lot of commercial mortgage-backed securities were created in 06, 07, 08, which is in, have about right. a 10-year maturity. <clears throat> Those maturities are now coming due and need to be rolled over yeah. so there's a lot more supply. So I think it's weighing on those markets. Jim Karen with us with Morgan Stanley. I'd really point out a smart summary by Zero Hedge this weekend on CLOs and derivatives, the uh, collateralized loan obligation uh, markets. And uh, when I when I look at that, uh, he, he cites Morgan Stanley research in there. I wanted to bring that up with Jim. Jim Karen, thank you so much. Way too short a visit today. We'll do it again uh, next time. Futures up 20, Dow Futures up uh, 180, we'll do it longer next time, I should say. And again, I want to note dollar strength. Mike, we're really getting off of Sterling's weakness. Uh, 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 not a huge move. That would be wrong, but a very nice lift in DXY, 97.59. Not near 100, not even 99, no. but nevertheless. But also, uh, not just <clears throat> Sterling's weakness, but you look yeah. at the euro at 110.06 here, threatening 109. Yeah. It's a group effort. Sterling, 140.77. Again, on Boris Johnson and Brexit news. Let's check in with John Tucker now and get the latest world and national headlines, John. And uh, Michael and Tom, the suspect in that shooting rampage in Kalamazoo, Michigan, that left six people dead, expected to be arraigned today on murder charges. Police say Jason Dalton seemed to choose his victims at random. Authorities say the 45-year-old Uber driver and former insurance adjuster has no criminal record. With Jeb Bush's departure from the presidential race on Saturday, a fundraising army scattered, and the question the troops now facing, pick another side or retreat. Most Bush loyalists contacted Sunday say they're preparing to support Marco Rubio. Authorities in Fiji still having trouble communicating with some islands following a powerful and deadly cyclone that smashed the Pacific Island chain. Officials say at least 18 people died. Thousands remain in shelters. Global news 24 hours a day, powered by 2,400 journalists in more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm John Tucker, Michael, and Tom. Uh, John, thanks so much again. As uh, Mike McKee mentioned, sterling weakness, 140.80, really beginning to start thinking about a 139 handle 
on cable. That would be something. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Market Driver is brought to you by your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealer. When it comes to winter elements, put your best four wheels forward with Mercedes-Benz 4Matic all-wheel drive. Visit your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealer for a test drive today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts at low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME Group. Oil is rising along with global equities amid speculation that a production freeze by some OPEC members in Russia could eventually help to abate the surplus. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. NYMEX crude oil is up 5.8% of $1.70. Is at $31.36 a barrel. Brent is up 4.9% at $34.62. Futures are higher with S&P E-mini futures up 19 points. Dow E-mini futures up 171. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 41. DAX in Germany is up 1.7%. Ten-year Treasury down 2.30 seconds. The yield 1.75%. COMEX gold down 1.7% or $21 to 1209.80 an ounce. And the British pound is at $1.4081. The euro $1.1008. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you so much. Long ago and far away, what I would remember, and I'm sure that Arthur Levitt, the former chairman of the SEC, would remember, was a field goal. No, not Pete or Charlie Gogolak kicking field goals, three-point field goals, a long time ago. But if you really wanted to get paid and damage your client, you could make three big figures or a field goal, I'm moving a piece of paper over to one of your clients. Arthur Levitt considers the final death of this, where maybe, Arthur, we would actually know the markup, at least some of the markup, on some of our bonds. Are we really actually to a visible market on bonds? I think we're getting closer, whether we'll get there. <clears throat> We've thought this for the past 20 years. Yeah. But- the game of taking bonds into inventory and that afternoon marking them up by one or two points, as much as that, and handing them to uh, innocent retail investors is a game that was known throughout the street. But I think that the Municipal Securities Rulemaking Board and FINRA uh, are now going to require brokers to disclose exactly how much they pocket when they buy corporate or municipal bonds and then sell those same securities right. later in the same day. And, and I would point out, folks, there's a, you know, the field goal was a joke in the street, but I, I want to point out, as Mr. Levitt mentions, one or two points, many, many people would mark up bonds constructively and ethically to their customers for a quarter, three-eighths, half a point, whatever. So, you know, it wasn't Mike... It wasn't so reprehensible that everybody did it. It's just you didn't even know who was doing it, per se. You didn't because those markets have not had the liquidity of our equity markets. And when you get mom-and-pop buyers of odd lots, they're going to pay a lot of money for it. I don't know that that's going to change uh, totally. Uh, I think it probably won't, but we're still in a better place 
than we were 10 years ago. We were talking earlier today with uh, Brad Hintz about the outlook for banks and how uh, regulation has increased their costs significantly. Uh, one of the uh, items of uh, regulatory uh, requirement banks are having to put up with these days are the living wills, which Janet Yellen says uh, haven't worked out so well so far, as they've send them back to the banks to do them again. Uh, who should be the most worried, the, the banks, that they have to keep doing this, or regulators because we can't get it right? Well, I think regulators should be nervous because their credibility is online, and I think the American public should be most nervous. It's their money on the line if they end up bailing out the banks again. Uh, the regulators should have required more of the living wills to be made public so that outside experts could have evaluated them. They should have also publicly disclosed how much funding they think it would take for those institutions to be resolved in bankruptcy and exactly where is the money coming from. So I think there's a, a, a lot of worry to go around. One of the, the points that Neil Kashkari makes is that uh, the, the money doesn't have to come from anywhere. If one bank is failing in isolation, they can let it go. But a bank is unlikely to fail. A big bank like that is unlikely to fail unless there's some sort of overall crisis that means that the federal government has to uh, bail them out. So his view is it's by default a bailout. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. I look, Arthur, at the state of banking, I mean, and, and to go away from uh, the reading of the weekend, are, are we at a point we were where we are utility banking? Are we at I don't that point think, now in the cycle? No, I don't think so. Not quite. <clears throat> I don't think banking has changed all that much. I think our regulation has changed. In some ways, it's become more punitive. I think the public's awareness of the consequences of too big to fail is much keener than it's ever been before. So I think the lessons of the market haven't gone unheeded, and I think the political pressure on the banks is greater today than ever before in recent history. So the banks are not getting a free ride. But the regulators aren't doing all they can, and the public obviously mm-hmm. is bearing down on the banks as uh, the villain of this uh, economic environment. Arthur, thank you so much. Arthur Lovett, quickly this morning. He's a former chairman of the SEC board member with Bloomberg LP. Mike, the, the bond markup idea would be revolutionary yeah. if it happened. I think so much of the reason individual bond uh, performance uh, went away, and, and individual bond interest went away, I should say, is because people have no clue what they're buying. If, I mean, not that mistakes aren't made every, every day in the equity market, but there's even a, there's a semblance of actually knowing where you are. Yeah. People have no clue what they're getting in the bond market. None. Well, that's why they're, they yeah. gravitate towards things like ETFs. Yeah. And well, that, that and, and also the unit trust and the mutual funds as well. But individual bonds, I remember a million years ago, it was a, Huge part of the business, and that has just evaporated. Uh, futures very stable, up 20. As we get the markets open here in five minutes, Dow futures up 170. Five yields are higher by two, one basis points or so. But really, my headline today is curve flattening 
really significant and bears close watching as we go through the week with important economic data. Bloomberg Surveillance. We're counting down to the opening bell brought to you by the refined Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland. It continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. Jeep, the official vehicle of Killington Resort. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, I'm Karen Moscow, along with Tom Keen and Michael McKee, and the opening bell is brought to you by SEI. Have evolving investor and regulatory demands affected your investment firm's operational readiness? Imagine transforming your business with SEI's global platform at SCIC.com slash imagine. Stocks higher at the open, the S&P 500 up 7 tenths percent or 13 points to 1931. Dow Jones Industrial Average up 6 tenths percent or 95 points to 16,488. And the Nasdaq's up 1 percent. 44 points to 4548. 10-year Treasury down 3.30 seconds. The yield 1.75%. Yield on the two-year 0.76%. NYMEX crude oil up 6.2% or $1.84 to 31.48 a barrel. COMEX gold down 1.8% or $22.20 to 1208.60 an ounce. The euro $1.1017. The yen 113.16. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. Let's cut to the chase, folks. Lisa Bramowitz with us with Bloomberg Gadfly. She's thought extraordinarily uh, in the last, oh, three, four, five days getting through the weekend on where we are in the bond market. I, I know your wonderful article on hedging or the lack of hedging in European bonds in the extremely sophisticated zero hedge article, which was done off Morgan Stanley, and I believe it was Deutsche Bank Research, on the CLO, the securitized market, as well. Let me cut to the general chase. What's the sweat factor out there now in fixed income? That we don't know what we don't know, and it's really bad. That's the sweat how factor. Do you, because how do you con- – I, I, I love what you just said. What do you mean by a general phrase like really bad? Well, so there's the general concern that central, central bank policies that we really have not explored before, which is really the negative rate policies. I think everybody agrees with that. Uh, are going to create unintended consequences, whether you call it asset bubbles, whether you call it just unintended consequences. And we're seeing some of the effects of those in the U.S. already as the credit cycle starts to turn. And arguably, you're seeing the, uh, as you see the bust of the energy uh, boom and the right. oil price boom, you're seeing the losses materialize in a meaningful way from all of the investors who bought the corporate debt of these energy is the market, With all of your context, is the market operating right now in a relatively comfortable and normal fashion. If you have a piece and you need to go sell it, is there a bid there? It depends what it is, but most people who I talk to, particularly in more distressed debt, say absolutely not. And even though the Federal Reserve, the New York Federal Reserve, has come out and said Treasury uh, liquidity in the bond market is not that impaired, they've said that again and again. Tab Group came out with a report today where they said, we're not using the right tools to even gauge liquidity. And when I talk to traders, they right. say, we cannot sell what we want to sell. Mike, I don't have an opinion on this other than to say I am certain in the last four or five days this has become a new talking point, what Lisa just brilliantly conveyed. 
Well, it's been going on for a while, the concern about liquidity in the markets. I guess um, the big issue is that in March we get the resets from the banks and the energy industry, and nobody knows. And I don't know why nobody knows. People aren't counting up the loans or... I mean, why is there so much uncertainty about this, do you uh, suppose? When you say the unknowns about whether banks will re-up the credit lines with well, these how many, stressed how many, energy how companies. How many loans are likely to be in distress at that point? And then, you know, you can try to guess whether or not they're going to be re-upped or not. But, uh, you know, how bad is it? Well I, well, I think U.S. banks have disclosed some information. There's a question about how complete that is or whether it's a, a fair evaluation of the potential stresses in these companies. I think underlying this is a tension where banks do not want to step away from companies in distress. This is their job to stick with them. Jamie Dimon has been very, very uh, vocal and outspoken, saying we're not going to abandon them. That is our job. We stayed by them during the crisis. They don't want to basically mess up themselves because they have a lot of money tied up with these companies. But that mm-hmm. is going to prolong the pain if these companies aren't going to survive. So that's another big question underlying the uh, redetermination cycle. Part of this is a tranche analysis. I'm not asking you to come up with wisdom here. But the last time we had the fun derby, the surprise was better quality tranches or pieces of slices of derivatives or breakups of bonds Better quality tranches were affected. That's somewhat in the big short uh, as well. Is the analysis now about the garbage out there in tranches, or is it as well about better quality paper? Well, the um, credit lines that the banks hold arguably are comparable to those top-tier tranches because Mm -hmm. they are first lien loans. This has to do with whether these companies are going to get so wiped out that their assets will be completely worthless. At that point, you'll see really big losses for these banks. Now, there's a question of whether that could happen, but with the shale companies, should this uh, low oil price environment persist for long enough, there could be pretty low recoveries, especially given some of the uh, financing that these companies have managed to sort Mm -hmm. of uh, survive on. So this is a big question. I think in Europe there is a lot less certainty around how much exposure well, there is. Let's go, been- <laughs> let's go to your Bloomberg Gadfly article. <coughs> we have like, <coughs> excuse me, 10, 12, 15 of these articles a day. Lisa's usually the weakest. Um, but today she kills it. Good luck. Good <laughs> luck trying to, to You can hit him. Good it's luck okay. trying to hedge against a European bond risk. This is a brilliant story led by buy-by yield, negative interest rates, non-correlations. Can anybody get any business done in Europe right now? <laughs> well, here's the issue is that people are being pushed into negative yielding debt, and there's no way for them to hedge those bets. You can't short sell negative yielding mm. government debt. You can't, you know, they're not, there isn't like an active options or there's no clear derivatives that actually are negative. So you got to go find an alternative. Well, there, it's just, it's a very lopsided market, and it's a problem when you have such a high concentration, such a, you know, a flood in one direction, you're going to get potentially a very uh, messy exit mm-hmm. when everybody moves in the other direction. And, you know, it, there was some of that in the U.S., given uh, what the monetary policies over here were like. But in Europe, right. it's even more so. Right. Yeah, so why do you buy it? <laughs> I mean, you know, why, well, do you, why, why do you play Russian roulette? Well, if central bankers are going to continue to buy this stuff, first of all, then you're going to potentially get a momentum trade where you can profit from prices mm-hmm. going up and people buying. 
That I, I don't buy as much. There also are just mandates where, where certain fund managers have to buy yep. developed market sovereign yep. debt in Europe. Uh, one minute. What's the number one thing you're trying to observe this week? When you do, read your research, when you write for Gladfly, what, Gadfly, what's the one thing you're trying to figure out this week? I'm trying to figure out some of the losses, and I'm also trying to figure out how the big institutions are managing their allocations right now. How do you know the losses if you haven't taken the bond to bid and know? That's a great question. When you start seeing the bankruptcies, you'll have a better sense. Mm. I, um, the, the, as they say, the, the, the wind has shifted in the last five or six That's days. That's the issue. I, I mean, it just amazes me. Well, it doesn't amaze me. Markets being markets. The fact <clears> that <throat> there would be so much fear on so little information, I guess that's why there's so much fear. Um, you could have done Tom a favor, and you could have said that your goal this week is to figure out how the Red Sox are going to play in 2016. I'm, I've been... <laughs> I'm, I'm with Mets. I'm a Mets-affiliated well, gal. So. They're going to win everything this year. At least they've told me five times. Um, <laughs> B-Fly, out on Twitter. Pay attention to Bloomberg Gadfly. There's always something where you go, I didn't know that. It's very cool. It is seriously 10, 12, 15 articles a day. You're not going to read them all. We get that. But you're going to find one or two that will change yeah. your dialogue. Through the day, uh, Thursday's Lisa's day, so just you don't think you can ignore until Thursday. Lisa <laughs> Bramowitz is with Bloomberg Gadfly, as well. Uh, a nice move, sixteen thousand five seventy-seven on the Dow, up one hundred eighty-five points. S and P up twenty-three points. The VIX, a positively average, twenty point one zero. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit VolvoCarsWhitePlains.com. Here's John Tucker with the latest news headlines. Well, Michael and Tom, an Afghan official says a suicide bomber targeting a police commander killed at least 13 people today, including nine civilians in a northern province, the Taliban, claiming responsibility. Senator Bernie Sanders, ahead of tomorrow's South Carolina primary campaigning in Greenville Sunday, got a big response from a crowd while talking about going after Wall Street. Sanders has two more shots, South Carolina and Super Tuesday, to level the playing field in the race for the Democratic presidential nomination. After his loss in Nevada Saturday, he's tied with Hillary Clinton for pledged delegates, but Clinton establishment party representatives are giving her hundreds of super delegates on top. A lawmaker is again considering a bill to raise the smoking age from 19 to 21 in New Jersey. An assembly committee there is scheduled to weigh in on the legislation. The bill would find retailers up to $1,000 if they sell to anybody 20 years old or younger. And Bill Cosby's wife will finally have to answer questions under oath today related to the sexual assault lawsuits against her husband. Camille Cosby has been fighting the deposition for months, setting spousal privilege. A judge has ruled that as her husband's business manager, Mrs. Cosby has more to share than pillow talk. And global news 24 hours a day, powered by 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm John Tucker. Michael and Tom. John, thanks so much. Gold South Oil up. Gold down $21. 1209, make it 1210 the ounce. West Texas up almost $2. Wow, 31 58. From New York and worldwide, Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Bank of America. Merrill Lynch's global cash management solutions helping you manage, protect, and invest your global cash wherever the road to growth leads. That's the power of global connections. Bank of America, North America, member FDIC. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. 
And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by CBOE VIX Options and Futures. Volatility can be harnessed with CBOE VIX Options and Futures. See disclosures and learn more at cboe.com slash powerful outcomes VIX. U.S. stocks are rising as bank and energy shares led an early climb with higher oil prices, adding to gains after the S&P 500 posted its best week since November. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 up 1.3 percent or 24 points to 1942. Dow Jones Industrial Average up 1.2 percent or 195 points to 16,588. The Nasdaq up 1.2 percent or 56 points to 4560. Ten-year Treasury down 5.30 seconds. The yield 1.76%. Yield on the two-year 0.76%. NYMEX crude oil up 6.8% or $2.02 to $31.66 a barrel. COMEX gold down 1.7% or $20.30 to $12.1040 an ounce. The euro $1.1018. The yen 113.20. Lumber liquidators is down about 22% today. Its flooring tested for formaldehyde was found to have a three times higher risk of causing cancer than previously stated, U.S. regulators said in reversing their own finding from earlier this month. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you very much. Scott Mather is Chief Investment Officer uh, for Core Strategies at PIMCO. He's an old friend of the program. Everybody uh, knows him. And, uh, Scott, uh, the timing is perfect to have you on, given the issues that are out there right now. Um, following on, I, I, we want to talk to you about negative interest rates, and but following on what Lisa Abramowitz was just saying and the concerns in the markets about uh, not just negative rates but financials and liquidity, uh, let me ask you, um, how bad are things? Her, her views seem to be that things are pretty bad because nobody knows nothing, as the old saying goes. <laughs> well, good morning. Yes, it's, uh, you know, certainly I think this, this sort of environment, the uncertainties have increased because of policies like negative interest rate policy. Some things that people assumed could never happen, you know, are happening in financial markets. And so there is a, a greater degree of uncertainty. And combined with the regulatory backdrop that has kind of uh, reduced liquidity across the board, uh, there are sort of, you know, choppy markets and choppy price action. But, you know, for instance, in the bond market, we, you know, we still observe that there's a tremendous amount of uh, transactional activity. I mean, we're still, you know, humming along. Look at investment-grade corporate issuance, uh, still humming along at near you know, record, a record pace of activity, large amounts of, uh, of bonds coming to market every week. So, I, you know, the nature of the markets has changed, uh, but in uh, in people sort of perceive that there's different uh, ways that markets function uh, versus uh, the way they functioned in the past. Uh, but we don't think there's uh, anything like sort of a, a systemic uh, issue with you, with the way volatility is uh, you know, impacting markets at this point. You feel like you can sell what you may want to sell or need to sell these days, and if things go south, you'll still be able to do that? Yeah, we just we describe it as a as a different sort of market. It's no longer the market when where you can um, you know pick up the phone or or hit the buy or sell button uh, in many different sectors uh, in the way that you used to uh, because uh, counterparties aren't providing the balance sheet to conduct business that way. Uh, so it just means it takes more time uh, to connect a real buyer and a real seller. But uh, there's still plenty of that going on, and and there's new mechanisms for for putting buyers and sellers together that seem to, seem to be functioning fine. I, I look, Scott, and I think a lot of the trading desk challenges and junk maybe is not part of the PIMCO um, world. Are you working day-to-day now where we're just in a low-rate environment forever? 
I mean, what, one of the things Mike and I have seen, and we usually talk to you on Jobs Day when we're on a lather about labor, it's nice just to talk to you about the normal markets. Do you just assume a terminal value means low yields are here to stay? Well, we certainly think that uh, that low yields are here to stay for uh, very many years, but uh, you know, still our forecast that that interest rates in the U.S. will be slowly normalized, and, and out a few years, you should expect to see uh, you know policy rates close to two percent, and you should expect to see ten-year uh, rates uh, probably close to three percent. Um, so, you know, we're, we're just right now at the point where because of what other central banks around the world are doing and the spillover effects on the U.S. market, it's prevented uh, U.S. yields from rising. But, you know, if we look at other major central banks in the world, you know, project what the ECB will be doing a year from now, what the Bank of Japan will be doing a year from now, we think that they'll, they'll be done with, uh, with, with easing uh, and will be looking to slowly normalize, uh, you know, at that time. So some of those spillover effects on the U.S. market should begin to dissipate. So... Ne- negative rates aren't going to be something that is uh, the new normal. No, we don't think so. I mean, it's it certainly seemed like over the past um, you know three to six months, there's been a herd of central bankers that have moved in that direction, and and uh, you know as if they've discovered a new tool. And in many ways, they have because it hasn't been used uh, in the way that it's it's being used at, at the moment. Um, but the enthusiasm probably for those for those policies is beginning to wane. Uh, because if you look at what happened when the ECB uh, moved in that direction, what happened uh, more recently when the Bank of Japan moved in that direction, uh, certainly the, I, I don't think they achieved uh, what they were looking to achieve. In fact, you know, we now have tighter financial conditions, uh, and the market was certainly well, disappointed uh, and on both of those moves, either the ECB in, in December or, or Bank of Japan in January. Have those tighter conditions negated rate increases, including uh, we, the one occurred? We would say so. Um, you know, most objective measures that people have different you know, financial condition uh, indices that they put together. We have our own at PIMCO, but there's there's numerous ones available. Uh, they're they're all indicating that financial conditions globally and in yeah. almost every region of the world are tighter than they were just a couple of months ago. Mike, I think this is an incredibly important idea. Marching to March 16th is the idea. Of there, remember all the uproar about a rate increase. I mean, you know, did well, you you age that day, didn't you? <laughs> Marty Feldstein has a piece in the Wall Street Journal today I missed uh, that. Uh, that suggests the Fed would be mistaken to back off its forecast for rate increases this year. And it would probably be a mistake, given the economic data we're seeing now, for the Fed not to raise rate on, rates on the 16th, because then it reinforces the market idea that there is now and always will be a Fed put. Well, it's certainly, um, we would say March is, is probably not very likely at this point because it's, it's likely, given this tightening of financial conditions, that the Federal Reserve will, will sit back and say we need to see more data. Let's see what the, uh, the influence of these tighter conditions is on the real economy. So they may take a pass in March, um, but uh, you know, we, we certainly expect that uh, interest rate hikes are back on the table for uh, the remainder of the year, given, given where we're at in the cycle and given where inflation and wages are headed. What's your view on what the tightening we have seen in markets is going to do to the economy, given the fact that when you look at, say, the Chicago Fed uh, index, you're not seeing tight conditions. I mean, we're, we're still very low, just tighter than they were, as you say, a couple months ago. Yeah, that's right. They, uh, uh, 
you know, the high-frequency data continues to look okay, and a lot of the survey-based measures look okay. So, um, you know, if you just look at uh, what our model would say in terms of tightening of financial conditions, how much that would lop off growth, you know, it's about a quarter of a percent. Uh, so whereas, you know, you might have had forecasts of 2 2.5% growth for this year, uh, if these tighter financial conditions are sustained, uh, you have to reduce that by perhaps up to a quarter point. Scott Mathers, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it with PIMCO today as we look at a broader strategy. Mike, I think what yeah. Scott Mathers said there is just profound about the tightening. I mean, you know, we've heard a lot of economists say it, but to hear somebody in the trenches of the bond market talking about just flat-out tightenings occurred. And then there's this presumption, almost discrete and separate from it, of presumed rate increases. Is bizarre the right word? Well, I don't think the market's presuming any rate increases at this point, which is probably a, I mean, maybe Marty Feldstein goes too far, but uh, at this point, uh, the markets may have gone too far in, in believing nothing happening. When you look at the Atlanta Fed GDP Now report, um, granted it, it continuously moves as the data come in, but the data so far are suggesting around 2.7% growth in the first quarter, which is going to get people's attention. And as you've been noting, inflation is out there. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's... As I had the Cleveland Fed chart up today. I'm not sure we even used it on TV. We'll bring that out to you yeah. on social. But it's it's edging up, Mike. There's no other way to put it. Here's a bit of news. Stanley Druckenmiller, um, I guess he runs his own fund now, but of course he used to run Duquesne for years, says he is going to endorse John Kasich, that uh, Marco Rubio is not the most electable Republican. And that uh, Kasich can win. Kasich uh, had less than 8% of the vote in the South Carolina primary, but uh, Miller says um, the big industrial states in the Midwest yeah. can help put him over the top. Well, there's some political discussion here, and uh, we'll be doing that for you as we go to Super Tuesday. I, I, Mike, did, I, I lined up the, the states of Super Tuesday from Vermont to Texas. It's just wonderfully eclectic, but a real southern bias the five top states, Texas, Georgia, Tennessee, Virginia, Alabama. They're calling it the SEC primary at yeah. the uh, athletic conference. There's a lot of other stuff going on, but it will be really fun uh, to see how some of that ebb and flow uh, goes. We'll try to bring you more of that within our economics, finance, investment, uh, and international relations as we move forward to next uh, Tuesday. We are produced, as always, by YUN, our global technical director, Ken Fellio. The market up a good 200 points, 16, 590. Stay with us all day on Bloomberg Radio.